uh, I want you to turn to your neighbor and say, I'm good. Just turn to your neighbor and say, I'm good. I'm good. Okay. Uh, when do you say that? You say that when uh, you are at a restaurant and, you know, the waiter or waitress comes up to you and they say, would you like more salad? Would you like more breadsticks? This is the Olive Garden in this scenario. <laughs> and you say, no, 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 I'm good. I mean, really, inside you're going, oh, man, I would totally have more of those breadsticks. But you go, no, I'm good. I'm good. Thank you. I'm full. I have enough. I was at a wedding one time, my sister's wedding, and one of her friends from growing up was there, and we were talking, and, you know, she's uh, in her career, she's uh, introducing me to her fiancé, they're going to get married soon, so it's this lovely little wedding conversation. And I just said to her, like, hey, like, tell me about what you're doing to get ready for your marriage. Tell me about, you know, pre-marriage counseling, or are you working with somebody, because it's a lot of work, and, like, how's that going for you? And she said, we're good. We're good. We're not going to do that. It was a very heartbreaking moment for me. I spend a lot of time with people in pre-marriage counseling, in marriage counseling. I'm not a counselor. There are highly qualified people out there that I'd love to refer you to, but I have those initial conversations with people. And for someone to say, I'm good. I don't need that. That was a, it was a painful moment because it's both a misconception of your own capability and it is a lack of vision for how hard the road ahead is going to be. And it just kind of pained me to hear this young woman say that. And yet, I think I know why she said that. Because we live in a world where capability is everything. Subject matter experts, all of us being at the top of our game, that is a huge value, particularly on the east side. I don't know that I've ever served in a context like the east side, where there is such an expectation on being bulletproof, being impervious to any kind of criticism or critique. The east side is a unique animal. We've lived here six years now. We lived in the Seattle area before, but, but this period of time for us, for me, has been hugely challenging to try to understand, like, what makes up the east side? And I'm going to say a couple things, and some of them are, you know, stereotypes. It doesn't apply to everybody, but I'll just say this. If you've landed on the east side, you've arrived, in a sense of the word. You got the best job, you got the best house, you got the best car, you got the best spouse, your kids are going to go to the best schools, and, and this is all, you know, generalizations, but I'm not wrong. People here believe that they have arrived. My sister's friend believed that she had arrived in her relationship with her future husband, and they're good. What this leads to in the church, what this has led to in my own heart, is over and over and over again, we hear from the people around us, we're good, we're good, we're good. We got stuff, we got our mortgage taken care of, we got this, we got that. And we as followers of Jesus Christ go, well, I know you're not good, because of sin, because of the brokenness that's in the world. But I keep hearing you say you're good. I keep hearing you tell me through your actions, through the way you treat me, that you believe you're good. So maybe I don't need to tell you about Jesus. Maybe you actually are good. Even when we know that's not true. That can't be true. It can't be. Human beings are too broken. We are too frail. We are too tossed aside by the wind and the waves 
When you follow Jesus Christ, this is one of the biggest lessons you learn. How desperately lost you are without him. And yet, when we live in a place like we do on the east side, and we hear over and over again in word and deed from the people around us, I'm good, I got this. We start to tell ourselves, why would my neighbor need to know about Jesus? They're fine. They're fine. They got food on the table. They're good. No, they're not. Because what awaits them is an existence and an eternity without Christ. And I've had people I love in my life pass away the last couple of years. And I am so glad that those people that I was close to, they knew Christ and they're with Christ. And the agony. When I lose someone who does not follow Jesus, I am not looking forward to that. And I am asking you, I am calling us as a church to say, are we okay with that? Are we okay with people we love, our kids, parents, our colleagues? Are we okay with them facing a Christless eternity? Or do we want to do our level best, not perfectly, but with the tools God has given to us, which I believe the passage points toward. These are tools that the Savior has given to you and given to me. Do we believe that these are the tools he has given us for this moment to help someone on their journey? Maybe you won't have the chance to lead someone fully to the feet of Jesus. That's okay. Maybe your story, maybe what God has given to you just gets them one step of the way. Or two steps of the way? What if you were able to take part in that? What if we as a church were able to say, we are here to witness to our neighbors and we're going to walk with them on the journey God gives us. And we're going to trust that the Holy Spirit's going to keep doing stuff in their life, but I'm going to do my level best. We are going to do our level best to not let our neighbors face a Christless eternity. And the way that the text reveals this to us is through these two images that you see here on the table in front of you. Salt and light. Your tools in your toolkit right now are salt and light. And we're going to look at that through the scriptures today. We're going to look at what Jesus means when he talks about salt. What does he mean when he talks about light? And then you're going to have a chance to reflect on that right there in your seat. So we're going to do this together. Our outline is very simple. Salt we're going to teach on it, and then we're going to reflect on it. Light, we're going to teach on it, we're going to reflect on it. And the thesis statement, if you want to write this down, goes like this. To grow, salt and light must be shared. If you want to grow in your discipleship, if you want to grow in your ability to understand who Jesus is, salt and light must be shared. We're talking about gather, grow, and go. Grow, we normally talk about what are some good books to read? What are some stuff that you can do to kind of grow your mind? I feel very convicted that that's not good enough for us right now. It's certainly not good enough for me. I want my heart to grow. If you want your heart to grow, I encourage you to listen carefully to what I'm about to say to you from the scriptures. Because to grow, for your heart to grow, for my heart, for our world to grow, we need salt and light to be shared. What do I mean when I say salt? Well, what did Jesus mean? Look at the text with me. Turn with me to Matthew chapter 5. What's the context? What's happening here? Jesus is teaching the Sermon on the Mount. One of the greatest speeches in all of history. One of the greatest religious and philosophical statements of all time. And he's just shared with this crowd of people. Disciples, people who don't yet know he's Messiah. The Beatitudes, right? Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom. Blessed are those who mourn, for they will be comforted. And everybody's sitting there and they're kind of nodding their heads going, Cool! All right, so what? <laughs> and Jesus gives them the so what. He says this in verse 13. You are the salt of the earth, 
But if salt has lost its taste, how can its saltiness be restored? It's no longer good for anything, but is thrown out and trampled underfoot. Salt, when he said that to his audience, they thought of something a little bit like table salt, just simple granules that they would have put on food, that they would have used to preserve something. Salt, we don't like this, but salt could be rubbed into a wound to help uh, cleanse it of infections. Salt in this day, in Jesus' day, came from the Dead Sea, mostly. Anybody ever been to the Dead Sea, by the way? I've been to the Great Salt Lake, and boy, does it smell. So I can only imagine what the Dead Sea smells like, because it's the highest salination count, salty count, of most any body of water in the world. Salt literally washes onto the shores of the Dead Sea, and you kind of go and scrape it up, and then go put it on your food. I imagine it has quite a taste. But that is where they got their salt, and salt was valuable. Salt was something that you could offer to your guests. Like, hey, we've got salt today. This is a nice part of the meal. Jesus uses salt metaphorically. Let's put the slide up for Mark 9:50, if you could. He says this in Mark's gospel. Salt is good, but if salt has lost its saltiness, how can you season it? How can you put salt back in when salt has lost it? Have salt in yourselves, and this is what he says it's for, to be at peace with one another. What's salt for, church? Say it with me. To be at peace with one another. How are you supposed to do that? My conviction, and this is where we're talking about the tool that is literally in your hand, is that to be at peace with others, to be a blessing, to be the salt of Kirkland and Bothell and Woodenville and Bellevue and all over the east side, to be the salt that your neighbors need to bring flavor and richness and fullness into their lives through Jesus Christ, you need to tell them about your salt. And I'm going to make the argument today that your salt is your suffering. It is the chapters of pain and distress and disappointment and fear that you have encountered in your life. There are many ways we can encourage and interpret this concept of salt. But one way that I want to encourage us to think about it today is in terms of suffering. I get this from the Apostle Paul's letter to the Colossians. Uh, You can look at the slide real quick. We don't have time to read into it deeply. But Paul's letter to the Colossians uses this phrase, let your speech be seasoned with salt. This is where I got to thinking about suffering. When you're tired, you talk different, don't you? When you are stressed out at work, you talk to your family different. We can just all admit this, right? Like, if you're having a bad day at work, everyone in your family knows it, right? You might be able to hide it from other people, but your family's like, hmm, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to go over here. Like, you need some space. Your speech reveals what's in your heart. And my contention is that when Jesus says, let uh, be the salt of the earth, he is saying, look, I have put stuff into you. I've put joy into you, I've put exaltation into you, but for me personally, one of the ways I want to think about salt and how it's effective in ministering to other people is through suffering. Through suffering. Every one of you has a story to tell about your suffering. And we're all far enough along in life to know, share your suffering with others, and there's a time and a place to be tactful, I get that. But what if your unique experience of a pain point, of a season of distress? What if your ability just to put words around that 
What if you say that to one of your neighbors? You tell them a story about a chapter in your life that was filled with suffering, and they say, oh my gosh, I had no idea. You've, you've just had the door open to have a conversation about them, about their suffering. And then you are in the perfect position to say, this is you truthfully saying, this was a terrible period in my life. I would never go back there. But boy, did God meet me there. And your friend, your neighbor, your colleague, who has never heard of God meeting people in suffering, it's a foreign concept to them. They hear you talk about God like a best friend sitting next to you in a chair, like someone who goes with you on a walk, who sits with you in your pain, and they go, I had no idea God was like that. I had no idea. And followers of Jesus, devotees of Bethany Community Church, you are perfectly positioned to be salt in someone else's life by sharing your story of suffering. Many of you know that uh, over the last couple years, my family's been through a lot. My father, uh, who I was very close to, uh, about three years ago was sick, couldn't really figure out what was going on with him. He went to the doctor, turns out that he had an advanced form of non-Hodgkin's lymphoma. The disease worked very quickly. And so from diagnosis to his uh, passing and going to be with Jesus in glory was about six weeks. It was very, very abrupt for my family. One of the darkest valleys of pain I've ever walked through. I got to a point on that journey where I thought, I think I've cried every tear I have. Like, I think if I had a tear jar, I would be like at empty. Like, they're gone. I don't have any more. And I've shared this story in different places, but I got to sit with a friend who grew up in the church and has since left the church and talked to him about my dad. And here's why. My friend, who I know through this community workout group that I do, I heard through the grapevine that he had lost his dad. And I just reached out to him and I said, hey, I know you probably have good support, lots of people around you. He is a very successful, very, very high-functioning East Sider. And I just said, look, I'm here. If you ever want to talk, I'm here. And he messaged me right back, and he said, sure. So we met up for coffee, we took a walk around the park, and he said to me, unsolicited, he said, the reason I said yes to you is because you've been there. I had a bunch of people reach out to me. It was really great. I was so thankful for people's kindness when they heard about my dad and all this stuff. But my friend said to me, I, re I said yes to your invitation because you've been there. And I didn't want to sit with anybody else who hadn't been there. So where have you been? What valleys have you had to walk through? I walked through the valley of the shadow of death, the psalmist writes. You have been there, church. And guess what? That wasn't just for you. It wasn't just to make you grow closer to Jesus. Yes, that happened. But it wasn't just for you. It can't just be for you. Because salt and light are meant to be what, church? They're meant to be shared. So... Look around you. There should be a three-by-five card and a pen. If you don't see one, there's some in the back. And we're just going to do something a little different. We're going to pause. And Ian, can we put that slide up with the reflection questions, please? You're going to have a chance to reflect on these two questions. Just quietly, at your seat. That's it. First question, where can I identify salt in my life? Remember, if salt we're using right now is this idea of suffering, this idea of God doing something in you that you wouldn't have chosen for yourself, but boy, did you learn from it. 
Like I learned about God's comfort when my dad was sick. When I learned about the peace that only Jesus can give when someone who is actively dying knows him and they are filled with peace. That's how my dad was. Peace was flowing out of him like a river even as he was dying. I saw it. It's real. So church, what is your salt? Doesn't have to be a story like mine. It could be something different. What is your salt is question one. And then question two is, how can I connect to someone else through my salt? I just happen to have the opportunity to connect with a friend who had also lost their dad. What about you? Someone you know struggling financially. Well, maybe you've been there. Maybe you can come beside them and say, I understand. Someone's marriage is in trouble. Hey, marriage is hard. I get it. Do you want to talk? So Megan's going to play quietly for us just for a minute or two. And I want to give you time to reflect on these two questions. You can write stuff down. You can just sit there and pray. But just consider these two questions. Those of you joining us online, the questions are in your bulletin. And I would encourage you to reflect on them for just a moment. Jesus said, you are the light of the world. A city on a hill cannot be hidden. No one after lighting a lamp puts it under the bushel basket, but on the lamp stand, and it gives light to all in the house. In the same way, let your light shine before others, so that they may see your good works and praise your Father in heaven. This passage about light, I mean, we could do an entire sermon series on light and the presence of light in the scriptures, In John 8, he says to his disciples, I am the light of the world. And then in the passage we just heard read for us, he says, you are the light of the world. There is no other religious teacher or leader in the history of the world who has said, that which I am, that which gift I bring, you now are that too. Nobody does that. Nobody gives away their power but Jesus. And he gives it to us and he gives it to his church. And he says, you are the light of the whole world. The whole world needs you. Why, do, why does the whole world need us? This is John chapter 12. Jesus says, I have come as light into the world so that, why? Everyone who believes in me should not remain in darkness. 
People don't need to stay in darkness. You and I, if we were still stuck in some pretty dark places, like I know many of you have been, like I have been, we couldn't even be here. But Jesus has brought us out of darkness. He does this over and over again. He does this in the life of the Apostle Paul. In the Roman Empire, somebody converted the emperor. Emperor Constantine became a Christian ruler of the Roman Empire. Light came into the darkness. This happens over and over again in real people's lives. And in the book of Acts, we hear about what God's up to behind this. This is Paul and Barnabas speaking together, which must have been quite entertaining to hear. For so the Lord has commanded us, us, the leaders in the church, saying, I have set you to be a light for whom, church? For the Gentiles, for the Eastsiders, for your neighbors, for people who don't know Christ, so that you may bring salvation to the ends of the earth. That's the why. That's the question. That is what we are supposed to be about. And my conviction is that this word in Acts is the logical conclusion of what Jesus is saying to us in Matthew chapter 5. I have set you to be a light. A city on a hill should not be hidden. Other people need to see that. Don't think of light like a spotlight. Think of light like a campfire. Think of it as a gathering point. Think of it as not focused necessarily on one person, but focused on a broad group of people who all need to gather around that light. And they won't find it. They won't see it. They won't feel the warmth or hear the crackle of the flames. They won't unless you tell them it's there. We will hear over and over again from our neighbors, I'm good, I'm good. But they'll be freezing. They'll be in the darkness. They'll want the warmth and the hospitality and the welcome of that campfire, but they won't get there unless you show them the way, unless we show them the way. So what does this mean in your story? Who do you long to see climb out of darkness? Who do you know who just lives in utter darkness right now? I've had family members battle addictions for years. And that is a darkness that is hard to fathom unless you've been there. Do you know people in your life who've lost their work? Who've lost someone they love? There is a darkness in them. There is a darkness over me after my dad died where I just could not see straight. I just, I, I would sit at my computer and try to work and I would just go, forget it. Like, I just, I can't. That's a kind of darkness that grief brings. There are, there are so much darkness around you. You want to step into a world of darkness and pain and need, come to one of our schools. Our schools are these incredible juxtapositions of both hope and, and light and life, and they're back open again, and every parent went, thank you, Jesus. And they're places of incredible darkness because of the pain that kids feel, because of the struggles just to eat, just to find their way through a school. College students are facing incredible darkness. Who do you long to be lifted out of the darkness? And here's where I would begin your place in the story. What has your journey been with darkness? When have you lived in a deep, dark pit? Funny thing about kind of working through darkness or living in darkness, you don't really know it when you're in the middle of it, do you? It's just, it's just all you know. You just go, okay, well, you know, this isn't a great season in my life. Only later, only in hindsight, do you go, oh, that was bad. I was in a bad way. After I finished college, I worked for a year in politics, which is a whole other story. 
And it was a very dark time in my life. I got to see kind of the underbelly of how laws are made and how things work, and it was very distasteful to me. I was also very isolated. Most of my friends, after they finished college, they moved, they went off to you know, law school and other jobs, so I just kind of felt like I was alone a lot of the time. I was struggling, I just I couldn't figure out what was going on. It felt like I didn't have a lot of energy, my, my thoughts were often cloudy. And so I was sitting with one of my pastors at my church, and I was telling him all this, and he said, you know, I think it might be time for you to go see a counselor. And I said, okay, I, I can do that. So I found uh, a wonderful counselor, my first counselor ever, her name is Nancy, she was great. Kind of a grandmotherly type figure. Walked into her office, and she had this very gentle affect. She had this, this neat kind of layout in her office, which I've since learned is kind of like the counselor's office, right? Like, there's a chair, and there's a couch, and there's beautiful artwork, and there's candles over here, like all these kind of things where you go like, I feel very comfortable in here. This is nice. And I sat with Nancy and I told her my story. I told her, you know, I'm working in this job and I don't really like it and I'm discouraged and I feel really lonely. And I started to tell her about grief that I'd had in my life at that time, pain that I'd had. I shared with her some things from my past that I really regretted and I'd kind of been beating myself up about. Things that I had done that I wasn't proud of. And she said to me, hey, I hear everything you're saying. I just want to point out to you, you're carrying a lot of guilt right now. And God doesn't want you to carry that guilt. And I said, what are you talking about? I don't have lots of guilt in my life. And she said, well, hold on. And she kind of ran me through the list of things that I'd shared with her that I regretted, that filled me with pain, that caused me to struggle. And she said, you don't think you have guilt about those things? Really? Really? And then I understood. And I'll never forget that feeling when she said to me, this person I barely knew, she said to me, God doesn't want you to carry that guilt, Travis. It was like this light broke through the darkness. And I felt this warmth and this awakening. And I started to realize, you know, I think she's right. I think I've been stuck in darkness for a while. I need to get out. How about you? When you've been in one of those seasons of darkness, have you known it or did you need someone like Nancy to tell you? Would you ever put yourself in that vulnerable of a position where you would go, I just need some help? If you think you need to see a counselor, come talk to me. I got a list of people that I would recommend you to who are wonderful. I want us to take a moment and reflect on our own experience of darkness because I believe this is how we can really minister to others who are in the midst of darkness. It's not to tell them, you know, my pastor said you should go see a counselor. It's to tell them your own experience of darkness. And in a way to say to them, I've been there. I see this. Do you see this? Do you want to do something about this? Do you believe Jesus will meet you in your darkness? Church, if we cannot speak of our own story around darkness, it's going to be really hard for us to minister to people who are in the midst of it. So let me, oh well, that went away. Let me ask Ian to put up these reflection questions for us. In my darkest moments, how have I experienced Christ's light in my life? Sitting in Nancy's office was a very dark moment in my life, and the light of Christ broke through. So what about you?
Can you think of a time when you were just in the midst of it? You were in the thick of the darkness and the light of Christ broke through, through a word, through an encouraging letter, through something that someone did for you that you could never have done for yourself. The second question is, who do I know who is stuck in deep darkness and they need Christ's light? They need it. Could be someone sitting right next to you. Take a moment, use your cards, take some notes. We'll reflect on these two questions for just a few minutes. Church, if we are to grow, salt and light must be shared. If you are to grow, if I am to grow from the heart, we must share. Either the salt, the pain, the distress, or the light, the hope. They're two sides of the same coin. I think this is Jesus' brilliance in teaching it this way. Salt is on one side of the coin, light's on the other. They go together, this suffering and relief. We need to grow, and we must tell people about the salt and the light. They will not find it on their own. They're saying to us, we're good, I'm good, I'm fine. They're not. And we as a people who know our brokenness through Jesus Christ need to be able to say to them, I get it. So how are you really? Where is there darkness in your life right now? How can, how can you and I be in a position to really listen and receive when people start to open up to us about what's going on in their lives? On your way out today, I want to encourage you to pick up a salt packet. They're there in the basket, they're in the back. Keep it in your pocket, in your purse, put it on the dash of your car, wherever you might see it this week to remind you, I'm called to be salt. What is my salt? What is my suffering that I can share with someone else? Where do I see other people running from this? On your way out in just a little while, make sure you pick up one of those. And I want us to take just a few minutes and talk to each other in some discussion groups. And the only thing I'm gonna ask you to do is introduce yourselves, get in groups of no more than six, and then just share one of your responses to those reflection questions, just one. You can be as broad or as specific as you would like. We want our discussion groups to be places of safety and trust. So use your wisdom, get into groups of six or less. You can move your chairs around and face each other. Uh, but let's take time and just share one reflection that you had with the people who are around you. Let me pray for us. Father, thank you for this time in your word. Thank you for the challenge and the call to be people of salt and light. 
Help us through the witness we can share with each other to both continue in the spirit of teaching each other the word and then in discussing the word to challenge each other, to lift each other up to higher ground and say, it is unacceptable for our friends and neighbors to face an eternity without Jesus. So let us be your hands and feet, Lord, toward that end, toward rescuing the whole world. It's too massive for any one of us to do on our own. So instead, speak to us in these moments. Let us listen and be inspired by each other. And we give this time to you. We ask in Jesus' name. Amen. So go ahead and turn your chairs to each other. If you're new and you just want to listen, you can just say that. I'm, I'm just here to listen. I appreciate this, but I'm brand new. Take your time. You got uh, uh, six or fewer people. Turn your chairs and face each other. And we'll continue in worship together. Let's talk to each other.
and then we'll regather. I'm going to invite us to regather. So uh, finish up your comment. You can move your chairs back to face the front. Go ahead and finish up those conversations. And if you could just reorient your chairs so our friends at Inglewood uh, have a great space to worship in right after we're done. Thank you, thank you. We want to be people who share well. So thank you for helping us share well. Thanks for chatting in your groups. I'm so glad that you guys had that time to connect. Thank you for being brave and sharing some of your story. So let's turn our chairs back around. I always feel like I'm a classroom teacher whenever I'm doing this. Okay, everybody, face the chalkboard, like up here. Again, I just want to say thank you so much for engaging with this subject. I hope that the Lord has planted some seeds in your heart and your mind uh, for how to carry that out this week. Uh, thank you for engaging in the breakout rooms. Uh, as we wrap up our time together, uh, I want to offer a really fun encouragement from our friends at House of Grace Church, and then a reminder about our calendars, then we'll pray. So House of Grace, many of you know, is a Chinese congregation that took over the space that we previously had at Peter Kirk Community Center in downtown Kirkland. Uh, they have since just become wonderful friends in ministry. Their pastor, Pastor Daniel, has just become a dear friend and mentor to me. And so uh, when the pandemic hit, House of Grace, like kind of us in moving in here to Inglewood, we, they had just started to get into a rhythm of doing their ministry there, and then COVID shut everything down. It's a city of Kirkland building, so they couldn't meet in their building for more than a year. And last time I talked to you all about House of Grace, I told you that they weren't back in Peter Kirk. Praise God, they are back in Peter Kirk Community Center. They have been welcomed back in for a month. Yep, let's give God a hand clap. So I talked with Pastor Daniel this week, and he just said, hey, thank you for praying for us. We're back in. We're really happy to be there. And I gave him the notes that all of you wrote uh, from our last outdoor worship service, notes of encouragement, scriptures, prayers, celebrations of their congregation, and he was so touched by it. So thank you all uh, for doing that. He's going to read those notes to the congregation today, and so I anticipate hearing more from them soon. But thank you for blessing and praying for our friends at House of Grace. Final encouragement is on your way out. Please pick up one of these fall calendars. Uh, They're available to hang on your fridge or to put wherever you're going to see it regularly. But there's a lot of fun stuff happening this fall. Uh, we are hoping to do in-person stuff. We are hoping to do online stuff. So please take a look at it, uh, and you'll see just a little bit of what we are trying to be about as a congregation. Uh, we even have Christmas Eve already on here. Like, come on. Like, it's coming, right? Like, this, this is going to be great. So uh, please uh, pick up one of those and pick up one for someone you know who needs it. Please stand. Uh, as a church, we are called to pray, and we are called to pray with consistency and clarity for the world around us. So we're going to pray for our world, and then uh, we're going to receive the benediction. So let's pray together. Mighty God, thank you for this time. 
Thank you for every person in this room. Thank you for the chance to worship in this beautiful space that our friends at Inglewood welcomed us into all those years ago. And now we're here, and now we get to enjoy it again. Thank you. Lord, we lift up our world to you starting right here. We pray for our church. We pray for Inglewood. We pray for House of Grace. We pray for our friends at Paradise Baptist. You have woven us together with these congregations in such a way that we can see your kingdom. We can see the beauty and the diversity and the joy of worshiping with people of every tribe, tongue, and nation, and we are grateful. Would you bless those congregations in their unique worship today, and like us, would you ignite a fire in their hearts to love and to serve others, to be the light of Christ, to share salt in such a way that draws people toward you, Jesus. Lord, we pray for our hurting world. There's so much pain. There's so much heartache right now. There's so much loneliness from these pandemic days. There's so much confusion about who you are. And so, God, as much as each of us is able, would you help us to step forward in faith this week, this week with boldness, with compassion, with kindness? May we be the salt and light of Christ. Lord, would you bring healing across our nation. We are a, a bitterly divided nation at times around politics and around masks and vaccines and all these things, Lord. And what we ask for is that our leaders would be leaders who speak peace, who speak grace, who are charitable and civil and kind, and who uh, in their appointed and elected positions are able to move our country forward no longer be stuck in these dark days, but instead to move ahead. Lord, bring an end to COVID, to the pandemic, bring renewal around the world, bring healing and hope to countries that are still longing for things like vaccines and testing and relief. May those tools come so that other nations, including ours, can take steps forward and not steps backwards. We pray your blessing on frontline workers in the hospitals and ICUs and clinics all around the world. They have been working at maximum capacity for months, for over a year. Lord, carry them. Fill them with special energy. Renew them this day as they provide much-needed care to people who are sick. Lord, we pray uh, for the unity of your church. We pray that you would continue to unite us around a common vision, around our calling, around our desire to be a place where people are invited into God, into community, into wholeness. Bring your dreams to life in us, uh, Lord Jesus. Father, as we go forth from this place, fill us with your spirit so that we might serve you, that we might have creativity and imagination for ministry, that we might be parents and grandparents and colleagues who are a blessing to the people around us. And in all of that, may we point toward you, Jesus, and help people to connect those dots so they see that you are the source of hope. You are the source of life. You are the light of the whole world. We ask in your great name. Amen. Church, before you go, I invite you to receive this benediction, this blessing I offer not for myself or even for you. I offer it for the glory of Jesus, expressing his will and his desires in your life and in mine. Receive this blessing. May the grace of our Lord Jesus, the Christ, and the love of God the Father, and the fellowship and communion of his Holy Spirit be with you all now and always. Now go in peace, church, and serve the Lord. God's people agreed and said, amen. Go in peace.